postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault that no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church Podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. I'm going to be talking about the top five leadership fails to avoid uh, with a special highlight on number five because this one rocked my world. It's, it's actually one that I've been experiencing lately, so it's kind of a new thing in my life and i hope it can rock your world to the same degree that it has rocked mine now before i begin i want to make a quick announcement Uh, especially for those of you who don't follow me on instagram you won't be aware of this yet so here it is um starting this coming week i'm actually going to experiment i'm going to do an experiment i'm going to try starting a Instagram uh, IGTV. I don't know if you've heard of IGTV, but it's Instagram TV. Uh, So an IGTV channel where each week I'm going to answer questions related to faith, spirituality, and culture. Uh, So if you don't follow me on Instagram, make sure that you do so that you can find those videos. They'll also go on my Facebook page online. And if you don't follow me there either, if you just go to the Story Church Project, the links are there. Just look for the little logos, the icons, and uh, you can click on them and, and follow me that way. Um, but that's basically what they're going to be. It's I'm going to be receiving questions, and then I'm going to answer those questions, and I'm going to answer them from the perspective of um, my experience, uh, not only as a millennial Adventist, but also as someone who is really um, committed and invested in helping a secular post-church world make sense of faith and spirituality and practice. Uh, So I can expect that maybe some of the answers that I give to some of the questions will be uh, a unique angle that maybe you haven't heard before. I don't know. I don't want to blow it up too much, but um, I am pretty excited about it, guys. So definitely check it out. Uh, IGTV channel, if you don't follow me, you know, on Instagram, that's at Pastor Mark T., and uh and they will go on there when i record them i'm gonna try it for a little while like i don't know if i'm gonna do it forever there's no promises there Um, i'm gonna try it a few times and if i'm having fun with it and it's providing meaning and value to people then i'll keep doing them Um, so it's a bit of an experiment and i'd love to have you along for that now let me get back to our regularly scheduled program, which is our topic for this week, the top five leadership fails to avoid. Now, here's, here's the thing. If you are a church leader, which chances are, if you listen to the Story Church podcast, you're a church leader, whether it's volunteer or pastor, um, you know, paid, uh, you're a church leader of some sort, right? And when I say church leader, you know, sometimes people's heads go immediately to conferences or you know, elders and board. You can be a church leader just by virtue of being someone who has influence in your church, right? You don't have to be sitting, you know, the chairman of the board or any of those big things. But if you're a church leader in the Story Church Project, it's for you. Like these topics that I touch on are topics that 
are of interest to leaders in the Adventist church who want to redesign their local churches for mission. And so this episode, um, what I'm basically focusing on are, are five lessons that I've learned over the years, because the fact is leadership is hard. Um, and church leadership, I've found, is even harder. And, and part of what makes church leadership so hard is that you're working with volunteers, right? And depending on the local church's culture where you are, that can either be a blast or it can be the most stressful thing ever. All right, so let me explain, right? So I, I used to be, um, before I was a pastor, I was a sergeant in the army. And it's tough being a leader in the army. But you have the advantage that you're working with a motivated group of warriors, right? They volunteered, they're there, and they're really motivated. Um, it's also tough being a leader in any work setting whatsoever. But when you're working with employees who are remunerated for their work, um, you have more tools in the box, so to speak, on, on getting them to perform their tasks because after all, they're being paid. Um, and it's obviously tough being a leader of, of volunteers, you know, uh, if you're in an organization that's, you know, fighting cancer or human trafficking. Um, it's tough because you're generally working with lots of volunteers and they come and go and, you know, it, it can be quite tricky. All of these scenarios can be really difficult. But again, nine times out of 10, and I don't want to make this too black and white, but for the most part, if you're in a volunteer organization, you're going to have a nucleus of people, a really strong nucleus of people who really want to be there and who are excited about the cause that your organization represents. Pastors, however, have an extra challenge because like I said, we're often asked to work with churches filled with unmotivated and non-renumerated volunteers. Now, that's not true across the board, right? Some churches have amazing volunteers, but it is a reality. And, you know, I can't pretend that it doesn't exist. A lot of pastors struggle with it. So so what this means is that, you know, you, you can't fire them, right? They're volunteers and, and um, for lack of performance, you can't just, you know, bring them over and have a performance review and you know, like you would in, in, a, in an office somewhere, right? And, and in many cases, there isn't even a more suitable person to replace the, the volunteers that you inherit with. So generally speaking, as a pastor, um, as an elder, as a youth leader, generally speaking, what you have is what you have. And so what do you do with it, right? Um, so this is a really tough question, which is why I want to just take a few moments to share these five ideas and I want you also to take the time to share some ideas back. So if you go on the Story Church Project and you check out this latest blog post, leave a comment, right? Let me know, hey, here is a really good lesson I've learned over years on how you can have a really good experience as a local leader in the church, um, despite the challenges that, it, that are presented. So please, you know, leave a comment. I love those comments. Send an email as well, Pastor Marcus at thestorychurchproject.com. Um, or comment on um, SoundCloud, you know, the show uh, comments below. Um, so here are five, guys. Here are five that I trust are going to be a big blessing to you, and, and you can apply them in your local context, whether you're a pastor, an elder, you're working at a conference, or you're, um, you know, a volunteer in your local church, you know, maybe a youth leader, maybe a head deacon, I don't know. But here are five things that I've learned over the years that I think will be really helpful in those stressful leadership church leadership scenarios. So number one is this, go slow. Let me rephrase that, because it's not really about going. I, I like to focus more on being. So be slow. 
Now, here's the thing. It's really tempting to walk into a church that's been dead for forever and try and fix it overnight. Or, you know, you've been nominated to be the new Sabbath school leader and the Sabbath school ministry's been dying at your local church for a long time. So you're like, I'm going to fix it this year. Um, it's really tempting to do that. And, and it makes perfect sense because no leader wants to waste time with nonsense, especially those of us who are young, full of energy, and we're just ready to change the world, right? There's this part of us that looks at dead churches and thinks, I don't have time for this. Especially if you just like finish reading Russell Burrell or something, which by the way, his books are awesome. So totally read them if you haven't. Um, but here's the thing. The problem with this approach is that it's exhausting and disappointing. You can't change a church overnight. You can't even do it in one or two years. In fact, church experts usually say it takes five to seven years to transform a church. And this is because a church's problems are collective symptoms of each member's individual problems. And you can't fix people's individual pathologies in a sermon or a motivational speech or a business meeting PowerPoint presentation. You can only do it through lots of prayer, lots of conversations, and lots of authentic relational connection. And that takes time. So go slow. Be slow. Avoid the temptation to walk into a church and steamroll it to life, right? It's not going to work <laughs> and you're going to be really disappointed. Uh, but if you embrace the slow journey of intimacy and healing, you're going to learn some of the most amazing lessons of your life and you're going to experience the transformation of your own in the process. And best of all, you're going to be way happier. So be slow. Number two, be inspiring. Oh, this is a big one. I see this, the opposite of this taking place so often. So let me give you an illustration and then I'll make the point. Ever since I was a kid, like I was born with the gift of drawing. So from a young age, I could look at something and draw it pretty realistically while all the other kids were tossing two-dimensional stick figures together. Um, now, it was annoying for me to see this happening, but more annoying were the times where my mom... She would, she would ask me to go and teach some new kid at church how to draw, all right? So the kids would all be together and they're doing their activities and she sees that, you know, oh, the new kid can't draw. Go get Marcus. Marcus, come here and teach him how to draw. And my excuse is always the same. Like, I don't know how I do it. So how am I supposed to teach it? I was just born with it. And, and I was telling the truth, right? I didn't know how I did it. And I, I also couldn't understand for the life of me how others couldn't do what I could do. And this is a problem most leaders I've worked with, especially volunteers, leaders who've, who've got a, a natural gifting for leadership, but who've maybe never had any formal training. This is a problem that I see all the time. Leaders, we can see what is and what must be with so much clarity that we don't understand how others can't see it. In fact, we often expect others to see as clearly as we do. And when they don't, we get frustrated. So we start lecturing or we result to the old you ought, should, must formula. But that formula never works, guys. And here's why. It requires people to be like you, to see like you, and to move like you. And when you require anyone to do anything, they won't do a single thing. Let me repeat that. When you require anyone to do anything, they won't do a single thing. A better approach is to inspire rather than require. So I'm going to repeat that again as well. <laughs> a better approach is to inspire rather than require. So when I got older and a little wiser, 
I realized that the only reason I was good at drawing was because I was born with a natural ability to perceive shapes. So people who can't draw well don't have that ability, right? It's not that there's something wrong with their wrist or their arm or their motor skills. They've got the same capacity an artist does. The difference is artists can perceive shapes and non-artists cannot, at least not at the same level. So for example, you tell a person who can't draw, draw an eye. And they'll probably like draw a circle, right? Especially like kids, right? They'll just draw a circle. Um, but the eye isn't a circle. It's more of an almond shape. And, and to be more specific, the eye all by itself is, is even beyond an almond shape. It's a combination of many diverse shapes. And here's the thing. I was born with the ability to perceive all of those shapes in my head. And then I could photocopy them with my hand onto a piece of paper. Um, and other kids couldn't. So if I wanted to inspire other kids to draw, it wasn't about berating them with, what's wrong with you, it's so easy, look at how I do it, now you go do it too, but about teaching them to perceive shapes as well as I could. In other words, rather than require them to see with my clarity, I needed to inspire them to see what I saw and then set them free to express that. And that's the point I'm trying to make, like we church leaders need to do the same. Teach people to see with clarity and then set them free to express that in their own way, right? Be an inspirer, not a requirer. Uh, number three, be one. This is a big one as well. And trust me, I struggled with this like all church leaders struggle with this at, <laughs> at any capacity. The book of Acts tells us that the early believers were one. So during a recent church plant meeting, one of my teammates noted that despite the diversity of thought and experience in the early church, the Holy Spirit made them one in the midst of their uniquenesses. Now for her, this is like a liberating expression because, you know, people are different and we all think differently and we see things differently and we express ourselves differently and expecting everyone to be the same is not only a recipe for frustration, it's downright unrealistic. And so this is a big challenge because I see church leaders do this all the time and I've been tempted to do it as well, right? Their church members are too conservative or too liberal and they want them to change. People want to invite that preacher that you don't like. They want to show that DVD from that ministry that you can't stand. They want to express that perspective that makes you want to puke. So you stress out because too many people don't think like you do. And if only they could be more balanced and sensible like you, what a wonderful church it would be. Well, I've learned that this is a terrible way to spend your energy. Yes, you do have to stand against toxic, unhealthy, and heretical ideas. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But no, not everyone has to be as awesome as you are, all right? It's okay for people to be a bit weird, a bit left or right of center, and to believe things that you yourself are too smart to believe. By the way, I'm being sarcastic, in case you didn't notice there. Um, we don't all have to think or be alike, but we can still be one. And if we as leaders pursue this oneness with our people, we will actually be a greater influence for good than if we decided to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with every little thing we thought was bad. So be one. Number four, be focused. Uh, so here's another cool lesson from the book of Acts. It comes from chapter one where the disciples asked Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, forgetting the fact that they still obviously don't get <laughs> what Jesus was up to, um, Jesus replies, awesome. He says in verse seven, it is not for you to know. In other words, it's a none of your business. 
Now, here's what Jesus does instead. He tells them that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses. So in short, their job was to be his witnesses, nothing more. So, so what this taught me as I was looking through this is that there are things that God has put in our hands and things he has kept exclusively in his. And we ought to focus on what he has given us and learn to leave what he hasn't given us in his hands. Now, church leaders worry about tons of stuff. Church growth, right? That's like the most popular modern concern of the church leader. But nowhere in Acts does it say that church growth is any of our business. Instead, it repeatedly says, God added to their numbers, meaning church growth is God's business, not ours. Our business is to tell the story, to be in his presence, to gather together, to serve others. And then growth is his business. And maybe we would be a little bit less stressed and overwhelmed as leaders if we focused on the things he gave us to do and let him do the things only he can do. Now you can apply this in like a hundred different ways. This is just one example, but be focused, right? Be focused on what God has actually asked you to do and what he hasn't asked you to do. None of your business. Number five this is the last one. I hope these have been meaningful for you guys. They've been meaningful for me. Now here's the one that I've been encountering lately. That's really rocked my world. Um, I've noticed lots of people um, over the years have you know, have invited me and said, oh, pastor, I'm, I'm sick, I'm not doing well. And, and I've gone over and anointed them, right? So I've anointed a lot of people over the years who are unwell. None of them have ever been healed. Now, here's the thing. I used to think, hey, um, some people have the gift of healings and others don't, right? Like, no big deal. But lately, I've been wondering, you know, I mean, that's true. And I'm still cool with that, right? If, if the gift of healing is not mine, then that's fine. But, but I've been wondering, what if there's more to this. See, in Acts 3, Peter heals a guy who can't walk, and he says this, what I do have I give you, in the name of Jesus, walk, right? That's verse 6 of Acts 3. Now that phrase, what I do have, it really spoke to me because it made me ask, you know, like, what does it mean to have Jesus? What, what did Peter having Jesus look like? So did, did it mean Peter had a worldview, a system of thought or philosophy that included the historical variable of a man named Jesus? Um, did it mean that Peter had, you know, a bachelor's in theology or that, you know, he had a blog on the internet where he talked about Jesus all the time? Or, or did it mean that Peter was a, you know, social media influencer for Jesus? Like what did it mean for Peter to have Jesus? So I got to thinking, and I looked at it from another perspective. What, what, what would it have looked like, you know, Peter's daily life? When you're in a relationship with someone that affects your daily life, it affects the way you spend your time, it affects your patterns, it affects your priorities. And so I was thinking, you know, so what did Peter, what did Peter's life look like? When he woke up in the morning, for example, did he pray for five minutes and then rush off to the busyness of the day? only to shoot up a quick prayer to heaven before he dozed off at night again? Um, is that what he meant by what I do have I give to you? Now, obviously, look, I think the answer is obvious. Peter had a deep connection to Jesus. He was in an intimate relationship with him, a relationship that obviously took place behind closed doors in his private life. And we see this leaping out a lot in the letters of First and Second Peter, right? Jesus was everything to Peter, and he gave up all that he had just to be with him. 
So this is why after healing the paralytic, Peter could say in verse 12 to the people around, why are you staring at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? In other words, we didn't do this by our own power because Peter wasn't operating off of his own power. Rather, there was a power he tapped into in the unseen chapters of his life that manifested itself in the parts we can see. Now, you might still be wondering, Marcus, what exactly are you getting at? So let me, let me conclude with, it, with this example. Uh, former Navy SEAL and now influential speaker Jocko Willink once said, and I'm paraphrasing here, People say they want to live my life because they see all my fun pictures on Instagram. But what they don't see is the hours and hours of daily discipline and sacrifice that it takes for me to live the life I live. Now, again, you know, as a paraphrase, um, but that's basically what he said. And here's Jocko's point is simple. People see what's on the surface, but not what's underneath. And in the same way, this was the big lesson that God's been teaching me lately. In the same way, the impact of your ministry in public will be proportional to the intensity of your prayers in private. So you can't pray five-minute prayers in the morning, rush out the door to the business of life, and close the day with a 10-second prayer as you drift off to sleep, and then expect to miraculously heal someone when they invite you over for an anointing. A no. If you want God's power to flow through you, you need to invest the unseen hours of your life into connecting deeply with Him. So once again, the impact of your public ministry will always be proportional to the intensity of your private prayers. So pray. Be a praying leader. All right, guys, that is it. Those are the top five leadership fails to avoid. I'm just going to summarize them again really quick. Be slow. All right. Be slow. Avoid, you know, the rush, rush, go, go, go. Let's fix the world overnight. Be inspiring. All right. Be inspired. Be an inspiring leader. Stay away from requiring people to do stuff and aim to inspire them instead. Be one. Okay, be one. And this is huge. You, you can let go today. You can let go of the pressure of making everyone like you. And through the beauty of the Holy Spirit, you can still be one with all those people who are nothing like you. That's the awesome beauty of, of the gospel that tears down the walls that separate us. Be focused, right? Be focused. You can be free right now from the pressure to do all this stuff that God's never asked you to do and just focus on what he has asked you to do. This was a really liberating thought for me even with preaching because I used to get so nervous before preaching all the time and now I barely get nervous anymore. And the thing that made the difference is one day I let go of the pressure of people liking my sermons. I just let go. I said, you know what? The whole church can fall asleep. I no longer care. The only thing I care is that I say what God has called me to say and the rest is in his hands. Because the thing that made me super nervous before preaching was the fear that people wouldn't like the sermon. But once I let that fear go, it's like the nervousness went away because I no longer care. Like if you think this is the worst sermon you ever heard, that's your problem. My only concern is, let me say what God's called me to say. And this is an example of that, right? Be focused on what God's called you to do. And finally, be prayerful, man. Be prayerful. Be a praying 
leader because when you pray, amazing things happen. I I, I was at a, a, a pastor's meetings recently and and this quote, which I think I've shared recently, but I'll, anyways, I'll share it again. This quote was shared toward the end of the meetings by one of my colleagues. Um, he had heard it from someone else, so I don't know who the original author of this quote is, but it went something like this. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. So I want to leave you with that today, guys. Um, thank you so much for checking out this episode. I hope it was a blessing. I hope you got something meaningful from it. And if you have other leadership lessons that you've learned, please send them through. Email them through um, Pastor Mark, uh, Pastor Marcus, sorry, Pastor Marcus at thestorychurchproject.com, or leave a comment on the uh, the thestorychurchproject.com/slash/blog on this latest blog. Leave a comment there. Let me know what you think. Let me know what other leadership lessons you have learned throughout the years. And I want to continue to encourage you. Let's redesign Adventism for mission. I'll catch you guys next week.